Well, hello and welcome to this month's CSF podcast. As always, we're going to bring you up to date with the latest information and data in rheumatology. This is the first podcast since the ACR. So obviously we'll be telling you a bit more about that at another point in the the life of the Cytokine Signaling Forum. But um, today I'm going to focus on a couple of papers that look at the efficacy and safety of JAK inhibitors in the context of rheumatoid arthritis. And the first paper is Shinya Hayashi and colleagues carried out a retrospective study to compare the efficacy of JAK inhibitors in treating RA. And for the second paper, a topical theme as always, uh, Christina Charles-Showman and colleagues compared the incidence of MACE and VTE in RA and PSA patients treated with uparacitinib, adalimumab and methotrexate. Uh, Now, as always, to get the detailed summary slides for the papers I'm talking about today, go along to cytokinesignaling.com. Cytokinesignaling, one word, double L. Those of you who have misspelled it know exactly what I'm talking about. So cytokinesignaling.com, a treasure trove of information, slides, abstracts, summaries, links to the kind of information that's really practical and really useful for you. So I, I commend it to you, and I really do hope it's helpful to you. Okay, well, let's talk about the first paper, real-world comparative study of the efficacy of Janus kinase inhibitors in people with rheumatoid arthritis, the ANSWER cohort study. I like that. Good name, the ANSWER. Yeah. It's important, of course, that the efficacy of JAK inhibitors is investigated in a real-world setting. We have numerous controlled trials to inform us, and it's, it's therefore, I think, incumbent on us to look at, well, what really happens when these are used in the, the, the normal clinic in which we all inhabit. And of course, very well recognized from the original observations by Ted Pincus and others that clinical trial cohorts do not properly represent the normal cohorts that we treat. So this was a multi-center retrospective study comparing the efficacy and safety of tofacitinib, baricitinib, pefacitinib, and uparacitinib in real-world clinical uh, setting. 622 patients were selected from the ANSWER cohort database and treated with tofacitinib, baricitinib, pefacitinib, or uparacitinib. Patient background was matched using propensity score-based inverse probability of treatment weighting among the four treatment groups. Uh, Outcomes included CDI, CRP, modified HAC uh, after drug initiation, and the CDI remission or LDA rates at six months after drug initiation. And predictive factors for poor efficacy with tofacitinib and baricitinib were also analyzed. Key results, retention discontinuation rates up to six months after drug initiation were not significantly different amongst the four JAK inhibitor treatment groups. Mean CDI value, CDI remission rate, and CDI LDA rate at six months after drug initiation were not significantly different between treatment groups. Um, Got some odds ratios for you for baseline characteristics that were predictive for not achieving CDI LDA with tofacitinib or baricitinib. Remember, the others were not evaluated in this way. So baseline CDI, odds ratio for tofacitinib 1.09, baricitinib odds ratio 1.07, both met statistical significance. Uh, Baseline CRP, tofacitinib 
odds ratio 1.32. Um, baseline glucocorticoid dose, baricitinib odds ratio 1.18. And um, uh, number of previous biologic or tardosteric DMARDs for baricitinib odds ratio 1.36. Um, key conclusions then, efficacy, safety of Tofa, Barry, Bifacitinib and UPA were not significantly different for the treatment of patients with rheumatoid arthritis one for the other. And uh, I, I don't know quite what to make of the baseline characteristics. I certainly don't think we have any measures that are yet useful for prediction in routine clinical practice. The search continues. Okay, second paper, MACE, uh, major adverse cardiovascular events and venous thrombombolic events across uparacitinib uh, clinical trial programs in rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and ankylosing spondylitis. Well, the background here, um, the oral surveillance study, which I think we're all very familiar with, showed an increased risk of MACE and RA patients treated with JAK inhibitors and additional risk factors for cardiovascular events. But we've had a kind of mixed um, experience when real-world data were interrogated as to whether JAK inhibitors are associated with increased MACE risk. Uh, none of that, by the way, obviates our need to pay close attention to oral surveillance and black box warnings, just to be clear about that from the very beginning. So the objective of the study uh, reported here was to provide an integrated analysis of MACE and VTE events and associated risk factors across RA, PSA, and ankylosing spondylitis these two be three upadacitinib clinical programs. Um, data were analyzed and summarized from clinical trials of patients with RA, PSA, and ANC-SPOND treated with upadacitinib 15 milligrams once a day, 30 milligrams once a day, um, as of 30th June 2021, and data from adalimumab, RA, and PSA, and methotrexate from the RA arms were included as comparators. Adjudicated MACE and BTE events were presented on this occasion as exposure-adjusted rates per 100 patient years. Uh, univariable Cox proportional hazard regression analysis assessed potential associations of risk factors for MACE and BTE. Okay, well, there's a lot of data here. Let me try and summarize for you, but uh, if you're sitting comfortably, I'll, I'll begin. 4,298 patients received epatacitinib 15 milligrams. Uh, 3,209 had rheumatoid, 907 psoriatic arthritis, and 182 ankylosing spondylitis. And 2,125 patients received upadacitinib 30 milligrams. Uh, that was 1,204 uh, RA and 921 PSA. In patients with AS, no MACE and only one VT event occurred, so further analysis was not carried out for this group. It was a small group to start with, so we draw no conclusions from that. Uh, certainly, we were not reassured or discouraged, simply no conclusion. In RA patients, 36 and 20 MACE incidents were reported with upadacitinib 15 milligrams and upadacitinib 30 milligrams, respectively. Five and six MACE incidents for the respective upadacitinib doses were reported for PSA patients. In patients with RA and PSA rates of MACE, uh, that was 0.3 to 0.6 events per 100 patient years, and BTE, 0.2 to 0.4 events per 100 patient years, and they were similar across upadacitinib doses. Now, MACE risk factors for RA included age, greater than or equal to 65 years, male sex, history of cardiovascular events, history of hypertension, diabetes, current tobacco and nicotine use, 
current and former smokers greater than or equal to 65 years of age, antithrombotic use, statin use, and aspirin use. Nothing particularly surprising there. Um, in RA patients, 37 and 13 VT incidents were reported with uparacitinib 15 milligrams and 30 milligrams respectively. For PSA patients, four and six VT incidents for the respective hepatocytic doses were reported. Now, VTE risk factors for RA included age greater than or equal to 65 years, male sex, history of cardiovascular events, BMI greater than or equal to 30, history of VTE, current former smokers greater than or equal to 65 years of age, antithrombotic use, statin use, and aspirin use. Again, probably nothing terribly surprising there. In PSA patients, only aspirin use was identified as a risk factor for MACE and VTE events. Um, and again, probably unsurprisingly, but nevertheless, most patients experiencing MACE or VTE events had two or more baseline cardiovascular risk factors. And finally, across the RA and PSA groups, rates of MACE um, or VTE were similar. So uh, pulling this together, well, uh, in this analysis of control trial data, rates of MACE and VTE events with hepatocytinib were consistent with previously reported data for patients receiving conventional synthetic DMARDs and biologic DMARDs and comparable with the active comparators adalimumab and methotrexate. Associated patient characteristics um, are, are known risk factors for MACE and VTE. Uh, I'm not sure that this will immediately impact our clinical decision-making. We, we're, we're governed by the regulators and the black box warnings and prescribing, but I, I think we do need to continue to accumulate data, uh, both from further analysis of trial data sets over longer periods of time, and of course, in the real world. And we've got examples of both of those in today's podcast. Well, um, as ever, to view the publications uploaded this month and to access our other podcasts and resources, head across to cytokinesignaling.com. One word, double L, you know what I mean. And as always, thank you for your attention. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or indeed anywhere you get your podcast media from. And make sure to let us know what you think by leaving a review. It's an absolute pleasure uh, to, to pass on this information. It's a fascinating literature and it remains a really exciting time in rheumatology. I hope this information is helpful and interesting to you and I wish you the very best in this holiday season. Thanks ever so much.